when we can be a part of a customer's workflow, when we can effectively automate something for them, less touches, less paper moving around, less email moving around, and it just happens, it happens, it happens, it happens. We get more value out of that financially and customers get more value out of that. And so it's a great win for us. Welcome to SaaS Connect, the SaaS Partnership Podcast, brought to you by the Cloud Software Association. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. Welcome back, everyone, to SaaS Connect Online. My name is Siddharth Agarwal, and I'm on the board of the Cloud Software Association. In addition, at Google Cloud, I'm responsible for all our SaaS partnerships and also responsible for a center of excellence that brings ISVs onto the Google Cloud platform, co-innovates with them both with Google Cloud and with the Google product areas such as Google Shopping, Google Pay, Android, Chrome, Chrome OS, et cetera. So any of Google properties, you know, how do we integrate those in with ISV offerings such that we can make them even more differentiated and innovative? So today we have Chris Byers, CEO of Formstack, who's going to talk about his journey in taking Formstack and making it as successful as it is across multiple lenses that he developed over the multiple years he was working on. So we'll talk about that. And just a reminder for you all, please feel free to put your questions in the Q&A tab. If by mistake you put it in chat, we'd also look there, but ideally it'd be great to have it in the Q&A chat. And what I'll do is I'll proactively look at those questions and then bring them up to Chris during the conversation. So please feel free to fire away as many questions as you have, and I'll interrupt Chris all over the place. And then for our executive members, we'll be hosting a speaker's lounge to talk directly with Chris and myself after the conversation. And please join the Cloud Software Association at cloudsoftwareassociation.com. And with that, Chris, really excited to have you on this discussion. Maybe you can give us a little background on yourself, then we can start talking about you know, how you got to Formstack. That sounds great. So I'll do a quick kind of like, we'll call it more formal intro. And then I know we've got a lot of discussion and got some, some of those lessons learned here. So first of all, for anybody who was going to be in San Francisco earlier this year, man, it would have been fun to be together, but hey, we're on Zoom. I know we're all feeling the pain of that, but thanks for jumping in here. So, you know, give you super quick background on Formstack. So we are all about creating uh, productive workplaces. So for us, you know, we're thinking about how do we help non-technical users solve day-to-day -day workflow problems? How do we get them successful in that way? And we really do that through three core products, forms. So think about data collection, putting a form on your website or sending a form out for people to fill out, drag and drop, easy to do, collect that data, generate a document and get the signature. And so we think about that old way of, you know, in the old, old days, we used mail merge and kind of Word. And then eventually you'd generate a contract or something, email it around and get some signatures somehow, maybe even print it out. And today we're really thinking about how do you do that in a really simple fashion? How do you communicate with your customers and you know, get that data that you need from them to maybe generate a quote, get that immediately sent back to them dynamically and get an e-signature so you can get your project uh, kind of off the ground. And kind of broad perspective on the business, 27,000 customers, lots of great names. This is a slide that we all show with lots of great names of customers, uh, teams about 250 people. So that's kind of the super fast. This isn't a commercial for me, but wanted to give you a sense of kind of who we are. Now, Chris, that was wonderful. 
you can go back to the previous slide, it sounds like you've come a long ways from when you started to where you are now. And workflows are absolutely critical for everyone because it improves productivity and reduces the time to get things done. So I think it's a wonderful space that you're in. Maybe you can talk just a little bit about yourself in terms of how did you think about this? How did you get started in this? Just a little bit so people get to know you, Chris. Yeah, so you know, quick background on me. So I actually did not start the company. A friend of mine, his name is Ade Alano. He and I graduated from college many years ago when we started a custom web-based software company. And at the time, those were in the days where if you wanted to do e-commerce online or even have a CMS, there weren't products for that. You had to custom build it. And so if you wanted to start selling something online, you were going to pay you know, 50, 60,000, maybe millions of dollars to get selling. There were a few ASP style, SaaS style kind of content management systems, but they were really, really expensive. And so we did custom software for a while, kind of heading into the year 2000. And then even as things kind of blew up, still kind of grew the business. But eventually we said, you know what, we're never going to make any money at this. And so let's move on and, and do something else. And then fast forward to 2006, Ade actually started uh, what was called FormSpring at the time, but FormStack. And I was kind of an early user, early investor in the company. And in 2010, he started yet another company and said, hey, can you come in and, and help run this? And so that's kind of the quick me background. I, I've got a finance background, software background, even went off the uncharted territory for a while and moved overseas and, and did some work uh, around starting a church. So kind of have a, a, a wide variety of background there. Yeah. That's wonderful, Chris. Uh, very diverse background for sure. So I know that when we were talking, you mentioned that you had some learnings and insight over the 14 years, decade and a half that you've been working on this. And those insights range from you know, getting started and building to scaling with the partner ecosystem of the channel, and then growing significantly through inorganic growth and acquisitions. So that's, I thought it'd be good for us to walk through in that sort of order of things. So maybe you can start and share with the audience the getting started part and one of the key lessons that you learned after a couple of years on how you needed to look at the build phase and then going to the next phase. Yeah, I think that's a great discussion. So I kind of grabbed a bunch of screenshots over time, emails, website screenshots and things like that to really help often it's remind myself what in the world was going on X number of years ago. And so I'll start with this one. This is circa 2006, FormSpring at the time was what it was called, was launched. And I love this email. This was actually a day at the time writing to investors or actually pre-investors, but inviting, writing to some friends. And he talks about this idea that that first month after building the product, he got 75 bucks. And then there was some churn and he got less money than that the next month. And in this build phase, it was really trying to understand, all right, who am I building for? What do they want to buy? And as you roll forward to 2007, a year later, he 10 x that number. And so it wasn't even a big success by then. It was 2007, maybe late in the year that he said, you know what? This is just enough to pay the bills. I can quit doing all the other stuff that I you know, was doing and make this my full-time effort. And then that really went forward in late 2008, where he finally said, you know, what? we've got enough success here to think about actually raising some money. 2008 probably ended the year with $250,000 in revenue. But the reason I tell this story is at that build phase, first of all, people on the call, you are anywhere between a small business with one person out there trying to, to grow a product, make a success to people with maybe hundreds of employees, thousands of employees. 
And yet that build phase is, first of all, can be really, really slow. And in fact, it probably is going to be slower than you expect. And I think that's an important thing to remember. But that build phase is so, so important to getting to know your customer. Who are they? What is the problem that you're solving for them? Because if you don't do that well, you can't go on to partner. You can't go on to maybe buying things because you're going to get into a big mess really fast. And so that kind of got us to our first major lesson here, which was owning the forms category was not going to get us to the size that we wanted to. So a $100 million business, that's a this milestone for so many of us of what we're trying to go for or just speaks to having getting some really good distribution of your product. People use it, people find success. But as you're thinking about your particular role in partnerships or running a business or whatever, to me, I think it's important to understand, are you in a high growth category? So take CRNs, like if you're in a high growth category, then your job is how do I take business away from the next bigger CRM player? Like that's a fairly well-defined TAM, defined size of market. But if you're not in one of those big, major departments and an organization, HR, marketing, sales, they don't need this thing that you have, you need to really think about what do I need to do to kind of change that? How do I get to a growth potential that I'm going for? Because you may find, you know what, that market is not actually as big as I, I think it is. And I'll, I'll give you one quick example, landing pages. I don't know if you remember landing pages starting, landing page software starting like 2010, 11, 12. They were like the darlings of startups. They were growing like crazy. They went from like zero to tens, twenties of millions of dollars super fast. Well, I think every single one of them kind of stalled out. And what you kind of discovered over time is that was a really powerful asset, but it's a part of the CMS in a way. It's a part of this website presence. That's the category. And so even if you have that first early bit of growth, you still may not be able to scale without finding yourself or building yourself into a bigger category. So that was kind of what I'll call major lesson number one for us. Yeah, so if you can go back to that slide, well, you made a wonderful point, Chris, which is that when you get started, you have these great ideas, but you have to get the product market fit figured out by really understanding what is the customer looking for and what are they willing to pay for and how much are they willing to pay for it? So Alex actually asked a wonderful question that I think aligns with this insight that you had that owning forms isn't going to get you to $100 million, which was, what did you learn about Formstax customers that surprised you and hence maybe caused you to really understand or what do I need to do? So I'm building forms, but then what am I going to do different? You know, I think for a long time, because we actually did see at least one competitor larger than us, we thought the market was potentially bigger. And funny enough, you, you worked for Google. I bet if Google monetized forms just because of your size, it's probably a $100 million <laughs> business easily. It's built within the larger Google suite. But I think when we looked at it, it looked like there was potential. But over time, I, I suppose what surprised us was people would often use us to do core business thing, but in a faster, more MVP way. So the great example of that would be even recently in COVID, maybe all of a sudden day two of COVID, we've sent everybody home to go to, to do their jobs at home, but we're letting some people in the office. All of a sudden we need a COVID screening form before people walk in the door. Well, if you're a big business, it takes a long time to maybe get that into one of your big core products. And you might even have to do a custom build. So form set kind of comes along. I can do a really quick build. 
maybe even it doesn't last longer than a couple of weeks or a couple of months till I get it into ServiceNow or whatever that big platform is that maybe we want to get the data in. But really proving out these small processes is a mm. wonderful space for us. And that was probably a great learning and it's a cool place to be because even today when people are having to be super agile, we get to see some really cool use cases come out of that. Great. So let's go to the next part where what was that insight that would get you to that $100 million? Yeah, you know, the first thing that we discovered was what we really need to think about is what are people doing right before they use our product and right after? So this is a great question for everybody to ask. Whatever you do, you solve a particular kind of problem set. So for us, it was forms. But what's happening right before a form or what's happening kind of right before maybe a customer gets the, oh, that's on the CMS. Like that's on, on my, anything from my Wix page to my WordPress page. So that's really interesting. Maybe we need to think about distribution through CMSs, or maybe we need to think about partnering with them to find some success or on the backside. Okay. I've collected this data. Where's that data going to go? We could email it and we do that a lot, but maybe it needs to go in my CRM or maybe I want to process a payment, or maybe I want to drop that into my email newsletter, sign up, all kinds of these things that are very obvious things that people are doing right after they use a form. So again, I think it's important, a great question to ask, even if you are in, imagine you build invoice software, what are those AP people doing right on the other side of that invoice transaction or on the, on the backside, what are people doing with that data? And so for us, it began with partnerships. And so we kind of went through that build phase and then we started to find, you know what, partnerships, which was really tech partnerships. So doing integrations with lots and lots and lots of partners was a really good place for us to be and helped us. We thought maybe that would get us to $100 million early on in 2008, nine when we did that. And so uh, actually by 2009, we discovered again, old name Formspring, but we did a summer of integration. So we tried to get as many people with open APIs, which again, late 2009, early 2010, it was kind of the rise of the API. That's very normal for all of us today. It wasn't quite as normal back then. And funny enough, two funny things about this email and, and kind of screenshot. First of all, so we're at about a million bucks in revenue in 2010. But what you see here is this is about two months into me being at Formstack. The email I sent out was here's all the integrations we've just upgraded or done. And you can see names that you would expect to see. Funny enough, right down here, way back when, look, there's Sunir, if you know Sunir. He was working at FreshBooks and we had an integration with him. I think I met him at South by Southwest, which oddly enough was my first day of work. So it goes way, way back. But you can see integrations was, this is the entire product release, just integration. That became really important to seeing, can that scale us kind of beyond there. The other one that I point out, and this is in 2012, we had an opportunity. So think partnerships, this is pretty cool, a couple million dollar business. And we struck up a relationship by building an integration without even asking with contact. And they were like, Hey, that's pretty cool. We'd love to talk further. And that over time resulted in us getting to put basically a link in the builder for building a constant contact newsletter. And all of a sudden we got this in, you know, we probably had couple thousand customers, they had half a million customers paying. And this started to look like, oh, can that get us to a, in a much bigger state toward that $100 million mark? What was pretty cool is we were probably getting 1,000, excuse me, 3,000 trials of our product every month. Overnight, that went up to 4,000 just by this one single integration. And so 
that this season for us of partnerships was really, really good. If you roll all the way through 2016, early 2017, got up above the $10 million mark, we today have 60 plus native integrations. Obviously, tools like Integromat, Zapier, they have, they have some great resources. We actually love native integrations. We feel like that's the one of the cleanest ways to get customers successful. But that didn't really get us to that 100 million mark, but it at least was that next phase for us of thinking about partnerships. And so the discovery, I think, for us was simply when we can be a part of a customer's workflow, when we can effectively automate something for them, less touches, less paper moving around, less email moving around, and it just happens, it happens, it happens, it happens. We get more value out of that financially and customers get more value out of that. And so it's a great win for us. No, that's great, uh, Chris. I think you're sharing some really wonderful insights, which is one, think about the ecosystem in which your value resides, and then think about who are the key players in that value chain, and then figure out how to make that very seamless to deliver value before and after into that value chain, right? And I think thinking about who are the key players in that value chain, how do we integrate? And in some cases, in like with constant contact, integrate without them even knowing because they have open public APIs and deliver value. I think that's great because that caused you to get greater distribution, better lead flow, and hopefully a higher win rate, conversion rate that got you to 11 million. So we've gone from $75 or 72.50, maybe after the first year to 11 million. And that's a wonderful achievement so far. Now let's talk about the next phase here, which was you're always trying to figure out where else can we deliver value or how else can we deliver value that is even more specific to what the customer is looking for or that is more tied and tuned to what the customer wants. So what was that insight, Chris, if you can share that a little bit? The first thing that we built, call it 2015, was this idea of approvals. So you fill out a form and somebody on the inside of an organization, so you fill out maybe a job application and I'm reviewing the, the, your application and I want to approve you or deny you. And if I approve you, you move on to the next person and some step and get scheduled. Or if I deny you, thanks, we're not, have you take a look at this job. But we saw some really great opportunity as we could start to be a part of that flow of a customer's day-to-day management of, especially interactions where it was people outside of their department or outside of their company. So within your departments, you can communicate pretty well. You have systems for that. You don't need much formality outside of departments. All of a sudden you need formality. You need people to understand how do you interact with me? You need a a request form or various forms effectively of communication. And so we had seen some really good success in that workflow concept. We saw, you know what? If we want to get really good value, we're going to actually have to attach things to those either sides. So going back to that question of what are people doing after, say they fill the form out, one thing they were doing a lot of was generating documents. And so they were taking that data and populating what was that old-fashioned merge idea via Word docs. And all of a sudden they were creating contracts and quotes and pick slips and pack slips. And so we saw an opportunity to think about something a little bit bigger. And so we started with the partnership world, but then one cool thing that happened was in late 17 or early 17, we took this idea and we said, you know what, we want to be, we had 2000 customers using forms and Salesforce and kind of Salesforce together, but we weren't in the app exchange. And so we said, you know what, we really want to get in there and, and get successful. 
But as we went through that, we kind of saw, you know what, we're going to get this done. And on the other side of it, we're not necessarily going to have won the business that we want because we're so horizontal. Anybody can use this. We can be help a lot of people to be successful. The downside of that is it lacks focus. You've got to focus on the vertical user. And so we wanted to focus on the vertical, not the industry in this case, but a vertical of that Salesforce kind of channel. And so we went through this idea of build versus buy. It's something people talk about, build, buy, partner. You hear it all the time, but most of the time we don't actually go through that process. We just keep building or we just keep partnering or we keep doing what we always did. But as we went through that analysis, we saw if we'd acquired, we could probably jump in to the Salesforce app exchange and ecosystem much, much faster. It was going to speed that up, get us more in, have a, a near-term impact. And so ultimately that resulted in our first acquisition of a company called Fastform. So they had built a product natively in the Salesforce uh, kind of ecosystem. And we went through and said, you know what? I think we have just enough capital to pull this off. Acquisitions are super expensive, by the way. And this was a couple hundred thousand dollar a year company. So it wasn't a, a huge, huge business, but we were able to pull that off. And we saw some really good success in saying, you know what? I actually think if, sometimes we can buy our way into a market or buy some acceleration or, or some more value for customers. So that was kind of that early, early phase of trying out M&A and trying out buying as an alternative. And Chris, the white screens are pretty harsh on the eyes. So if you can move back to the previous mm, one, yep. <laughs> great. Yep. So one question for you, you know, you talked about this notion of focus on the vertical user. So in this case, what was the vertical? Because I get the integrating into app exchange and having an application that already was speaking the application language was present there and could be integrated into your form stack. But what was the vertical aspect? If you could elaborate a little bit more on that, that'd be great. Yeah, ultimately, we think about verticals in industry is no doubt there. So we find success by focusing on healthcare, higher education, insurance, like those are good verticals. The other way we think about that is really departments. And so for us, we had been really successful in marketing because of course, lead capture with a form, like that's very obvious. But then once we got into Salesforce or any CRM, all of a sudden you're dealing with that kind of RevOps team, you're dealing with sales operations or the sales team. And we did not have a lot of success there. And so it really helped us get successful with those sales operations moments, which is where you are developing quotes, developing contracts, and you're really trying to automate all these kind of customer processes so you can get deals done faster. And so that was kind of the core vertical that we got that success through this acquisition. In. Yeah. No, and I think that that's a very natural evolution that a lot of companies go through where you start off thinking horizontally across uh, a lot of different aspects, and then you niche and go focus into a particular vertical that gives you much more success. And on the acquisition that you did, was there a particular, were there a number of companies that you looked at or was fast forms like the one that seemed to be most aligned? You know, how did you decide that Fastform is the right partner for you? And there any cultural aspects of that too, because when you do in acquisitions, yeah. That integration and that culture is really critical. Absolutely. And, and culture for us, like it will be for so many of you, is super, super important. And so we actually did a survey of every form building product on the app exchange. And I will say we talked to some who might have been a better, maybe because they were a little bit larger, maybe even probably even growing faster. We had some cultural misalignment with some of those. And we said, you know what? man, great product, but something about our teams, I'm not sure, or our cultures may not mesh well together. And we found a team who was just super 
gritty and hungry and agile and had kind of built something bootstrapped from the ground up and saw some just really good light in that. We actually spent most of our time on cultural, call it due diligence, but really trying to understand, will we work well together? Do we like each other? Like that matters <laughs> and it can go wrong if you don't. And so the really good success that they had was, first of all, they had built wonderful relationships with system implementers and Salesforce and kind of that ecosystem. And in Salesforce or probably on any major platform, that's really important. Often people are actually not, the department manager is often not actually making the decision about working with the vendor. They're making the decision about the consultant or whomever to actually just get that job done, who's then in turn saying, hey, I think this is the vendor we should use. And so that one key thing was really important for us. They People just raved about their, their kind of service and, and how they supported those uh, SIs. Yeah, Chris, that's excellent insight because it's that surrounding ecosystem of implementers that actually decides which technology gets used, et cetera, because the head of sales is not necessarily going and looking technically at how does fast form work, how does it integrate? And there's a question here from Rajiv, which I think aligns with a little bit of what we've been talking about so far. It's a two-part question. But the first part is, what is the framework that you use for acquisition? Because the assumption might be that there are multiple acquisitions that you've done or are looking at doing. Is it access to markets, access to customers of particular technology? So that's the first part of the question. And the second part of the question is, do you have a payback or ROI framework for these early stage acquisitions, right? How do you know that they've actually produced for you? That's a great question. We'll get through some of the details later, but to me, I'd say the key things we've been looking for are, does the product fit well within our stack? Is it really just part of a continuum? So if I think about those core products of forms, documents, e-signature, those flow really, really well together. They're very obvious next steps in say a workflow. And you can see even after e-signature, getting that e-signature into the right backend system is gonna be important or taking payments. Like there's these obvious next steps even you could take beyond what we've acquired. And so can our customers get value out of this really, really fast is probably step number one for us. Beyond that, I find in horizontal software, you can get pretty successful. Uh, you're seeing project management just blow up right now and get billion dollar valuations on not a lot of revenue. and that happens every once in a while that a category just kind of blows up. But when you don't have that, to me, horizontal application gets super focused on that industry vertical. Because once you do that, you then say, oh, I, I know who my buyer is, my key buyer, even everybody can buy a signature, but our sign company had really good success in say the insurance vertical. And so they knew insurance agencies really well. That meant integrations with insurance agency software. And so, where we see that happening, we see some really, really good ways that we can work together. And especially when it adds a whole new vertical to our platform, because take those insurance agencies, they need data collection, they need document generation, and all they were getting was e-signature. And so that's been a really valuable rubric, for lack of a better way to say it, for us. And then I'd say from a longer term success, we're always trying to accelerate our organic growth rate. And so we want our measurement is, are we getting effectively more people using multiple products? So we're building tools to pull those together. We've built single sign-on to make sure that's super simple for people to get to all the products. But all that's in saying, that's how we'll know for successful long-term is, is are people getting those products, using them, baking them into their workflow processes, then that turns out to be a really good acquisition. 
That's great, Chris. I think that in terms of the framework that was being asked about, ease of integration was really important and speed of value that can be delivered because of that integration. And then the other part is completeness of how does this complete a certain part of the flow, whatever that flow might be. And in terms of payback and ROI, you're really looking at adoption, the rate of adoption, the speed at which people are actually using these additional capabilities as a ROI measurement mechanism. That's great. What was the next thing? Because I know that you know you were looking at getting more. You've got an acquisition under your belt. So what was next in terms of the evolution? For us, what we discovered after we did this acquisition was, man, that'd be cool to do again. And I think it could be really good for customers. And whoa, that's expensive. I don't know how you could keep doing that on your own, just in our case, on our own capital. And so that fast forwarded to this idea, first of all, that there's only two ways we could get to that $100 million mark long-term. And we either need to get more kind of share of wallet. We could still have the SMB customer, but we need, they're buying e-signature and forms. We need to grab both of those, not just, you know, just their form purchase, or we need to go up market. And we kind of landed in this place where through uh, M&A, we could do that both of us, which actually turns out to be a great thing. And so in $25 million mark-ish at the end of 2018, we had taken an investment from Providence Strategic Growth, and that helped us fund a longer-term M&A strategy. And so this is the quick timeline here, and I'll just plow through these real quick. It actually answers in more detail the question we talked through earlier, which was acquired fast forms. We got kind of that app exchange leadership. We got inroads to SI's solutions consultants and native Salesforce technology. We then bought a company called QuickTap Survey. We had some new competition in the form space who had built some pretty advanced how you fill out a form. And we saw an opportunity to use that technology to really advance the way people collect data, especially like on an iPad or something like that. Web merge, which became Formstack Documents. We took something that was already paired up. We'd had an integration with them for a long time. We had a really wonderful partner network and great retention. And so pulling that together made a ton of sense. One I didn't mention earlier was our sync technology where we can basically sync data from disparate CRMs and, and data sets so that you can make that a part of your workflow. And then lastly, what was Ensure Sign, but now Formstack Sign, got us some horizontal integration into insurance and, or excuse me, horizontal integration in terms of that form doc sign and then vertical leadership in insurance, especially agencies. And now we're building kind of a platform to pull all that together to make it uh, kind of dead simple for customers because we always think about the non-technical user. Chris, if you go back, you know, one thing that uh, that would be interesting, I mean, what we're seeing here is that WebMerge, InsureSign, et cetera, they're helping you complete your solution, right? Across forms, documents, signature. And at the bottom, you've got how do we create greater adoption? How do we create easier integration with the data before and after? So this is going really well with all the learnings that we had over the past decade. One of the things that might be interesting for people to hear about is what are the biggest challenges that you had with these acquisitions and then the integration of these acquisitions? And how do people like sort of avoid those or address those before they become challenges? Yeah, I think you mentioned culture and no matter how much work you do with culture, even if you get great people and even Gabe, who's part of the CSA is on, on this team, came via an acquisition, wonderful team member, no matter how much you do that, everybody's going from a smaller organization to a larger organization. It's just like, you know, one plus one is always going to equal a bigger number. 
And so as we all know, as organizations get larger, you see it transition and sometimes you don't like that. And so I'd say helping people level up and figure out, hey, there are good opportunities for you to be a part of a larger organization. There's bigger growth opportunities. You can take on more faster. Um, but kind of working through that with people uh, can often be really tough because some people just want to be a part of a smaller organization. So that's the, the people side. I'd say we actually tried to integrate technology, that backend technology, a little too fast. And we discovered just how hard that is because you've got a group of engineers who understand this code base and a different one that understands this code base. But they can't always quite figure out how do these potentially come together. And even if they're just light integration points, that can be really tough. And so we've actually backed off of that quite a bit and said, you know what, we want the user experience to be highly integrated. But we don't really care as much about the backend technology as much. We want users to feel integration. And that's all that really matters. Uh, now, that's sometimes hard work and creates these weird technical debt issues. But I'd say that's the other biggest challenge we've tried to work through is, is how do you how do you effectively use these products that have come together and not end up having just 10 products sitting next to each other that don't really work together? Yeah. No, I think that's uh, those are two such wonderful points. I mean, culture, which is what people do when you're not looking, right? How people make decisions, how people interact with each other, and how they have a common vision and goal that they're going after is really critical to set. And then the second part of it is focus on making sure that the user gets what they want, and then the backend integrations will come potentially off of that. And great. And I know we're getting close to closing off the call, but what did you want to share, Chris, in terms of just the growth or in terms of how the revenue sort of flowed through for you guys? Yeah, I think the one just point I wanted to make was this is, I'm replaying life a little bit. I, I know this history now. I, I didn't know what it was going to look like in 2016. But if you look at this kind of revenue growth, which is, of course, a little abstract, this probably was form stacked by itself. We would have been on a track where today I'd be trying to figure out how do we long term get to 50 million bucks or 30 or 40 even. So that's a good path for plenty of people. You can run profitably, you can make a bunch of money. But we saw this adventure of getting to $100 million is a great one. And so as we bought other products, I just kind of wanted to visualize a little bit of what that meant for us over time. And so you can see where now all of a sudden, instead of thinking about how do we get to just 50 million, we really have a path where a $100 million outcome in the relatively near future is pretty reasonable. And I just share that as uh, simply another view. It's not the right view, as in every company has a different purpose, a different vision, a different what we're trying to accomplish. But for those of you who are saying, man, how do I get to that next bigger number? Just an open door to say, this is a very viable alternative. There are funds and investors who are interested in kind of helping support people who want to kind of take, build and partner and just add to it. And by the way, partnerships is more important to us by 10x than ever because of all of this work that we've done. It, it is accelerating at just such a rapid rate for us. So that was kind of the, the main point, but yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a, you know, you're inspiring people here to say, look, sometimes organic growth is hard. And even organic growth through the channel, even after that, you're still looking for more. And so don't think that acquisitions outside the realm of possibility because they could give you that jump up in an organic growth. One quick question on that, when you had gone to the VC firm, I think it was broadband, what was it that you said to them? Because that was 2017, 18, I think. What did yep. you say to them that helped convince them 
that they're going to give you money and you're going to use that money not to scale organically, but that you're going to use that money to go buy four or five other companies. One of the best things that we did was we actually were running two processes at the same time. Almost the Providence process was accidental. They, they reached out to us, but we were out trying to just raise growth capital. And so part of that is if you're trying to raise capital as you'll have experienced, or if you're about to do it, getting energy from lots of people paying attention and caring about the business and saying, hey, we're going to be a part of this is important. But for us, that workflow story was key and most important. We want to be a part of people's, especially where they're dealing with customers on the outside, making it super self-serve for your customer. And then on the inside, making it dead simple for people to get things done faster, like get a deal closed or get a contract built or even take a reimbursement process and just make it simple so everybody can get their, you know, get paid next uh, on their next payroll after they've spent some money and, and need to get uh, reimbursed. So that was exciting to them and, and us saying, not only have we bought something on our own kind of dime, now we just want to accelerate that. So those were really good data points for us to, I think, get into that relationship. No, that's, that's uh, excellent. I think this is, I know we're at the end of our time, but Chris, this has been really wonderful because you've helped uh, uh, educate us all on first, you know, how do you think about building properly? And that is with the context of the customer that you're building for, and then what should be on the before and after part of whatever the customer is doing. Then it was about scaling through the channel by building integrations. And in some cases, integrations that the partner didn't even know. And then finally, scaling to inorganic growth with the acquisitions. And one last question here, and this might be the last one because we are at 1045. What is next for Formstack? This is from Gabe. Gabe, who's on our team. So he's just planting, planting oh. that question out there for us. <laughs> uh, but great question. It, all partners all the time. So that's answer number one for Gabe. So he can be happy and go home. And, but you know, for us, we are really thinking about what are the, uh, and building, a workflow toolkit, for lack of a better way of saying it, to not only pull our products together, to, but to pull other data products together. So imagine I've got a form, but every time I want to fill it out, I want to go source some data from a Google Sheet. I should be able to do that. I, very easy, non-technical, don't have to think about it. And all of a sudden, I send a form out to you, Siddhartha, and, and it has your name and all your address and everything and your preferences pre-filled. And of course, you can modify them, but all of a sudden, again, you've saved time. We've helped you with your what you're trying to get done as a, as a customer. One, I want to say thank you, Chris, for taking the time and to the audience that has been on with us for the past 45 minutes. Second, I want to thank Sunir because he's the fearless leader that you talked about for Cloud Software Association. He works really hard and his team works hard to bring these kind of events together. So thank you to everyone. And we'll transition to the executive speaker lounge. If uh, folks want to join us. I think Chris and I will be there for another 10, 15 minutes or so. If you like this and want more great insights on software partnerships, you've got to rate, like, and subscribe and join us at thecloudsoftwareassociation.com. Thank you as always to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. We'll see you on the next episode.